You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. Our scriptures this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 to 34. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? And why am I in peril every hour? I protest, brethren, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, and tomorrow, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Come to your right, <clears throat> the right mind and sin no more. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you and I come upon a cathedral that is being built. And we see two stonemasons working on this cathedral. We walk up to the first one and we ask, Do you like your job? He looks up at us and he replies, You know what? I've been building this thing longer than I can remember. The work is hard and monotonous. I work in the scorching sun all day long. The stones are heavy, and lifting them every day after day can be backbreaking. I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime. But it's a job, I guess. It pays the bills. We thank him for his time, and we move on. We see a second stonemason, and we ask him the same question. Do you like your job? He looks up at us, and he replies, I love my job. I am building a cathedral. Sure, I've been working at it for as long as I can remember, and yeah, sometimes the work can be hard and and sometimes even monotonous. The sun can be scorching and hot, and the stones are heavy, and lifting them day after day can be backbreaking. And I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime, to be honest with you. But I am building a cathedral. So what's the difference between these two stonemasons? Well, the second stonemason knows why he is doing what he is doing. He is helping to build a cathedral. In fact, if you go back and listen to what the first man said, he never even once uses the word cathedral. When we know why we work, when we know why we do what we do, we are better motivated to do it. And we have hope, even if it's not hope that we experience right now. 
Well, in our passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is trying to help the Corinthian church to understand the why of why they do what they do. And no surprise to us, but he wants them to know that the why is the resurrection. As we've explored this chapter from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we've seen Paul argue that the resurrection is rooted in stories. We've seen that the Corinthians are are threatened by the very idea of resurrection. And we've seen that resurrection is a sign of God's victory over the powers of sin and death. Well, in our passage for today, Paul goes on a bit of an interlude. In fact, this is quite honestly a really odd sort of passage. Some of our more liturgical sisters and brothers use what is called the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a a rhythm of scriptures that they move through every three years. Well, in the Revised Common Lectionary, every single verse of 1 Corinthians 15 is found there, Except this passage. And I can't say I blame him, honestly. It's an odd passage. It begins with Paul saying that some in the Corinthian church are receiving baptism on behalf of the dead. (laughs) What does that mean? And I admit to you that I myself was asking that question and I was so excited to dive into my various commentaries and and I hope that these studious biblical scholars would illuminate this odd practice. And I can sum up for you what all of the commentaries said. They said, we we don't know what that means. (laughs) We have no idea what that means. I could tell you some of the theories that they have for what this means. These are some of the ideas that are floating out there. But what does it mean that the Corinthians were being baptized on behalf of the dead? Well, some scholars think that it's what was happening was exactly what it sounds like. There were people in the Corinthian church who were being baptized on behalf of others in the congregation who have died. And in fact, our our Mormon neighbors take this verse literally and they continue this practice as part of their faith. However, in my opinion, I don't think this lines up with what the rest of the New Testament teaches us about baptism. You cannot be baptized on behalf of somebody else. Baptism is a symbol of your coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a decision that must be made on your own, not on behalf of somebody else. Other scholars, and I'm going to confess to you this is what I think is happening. Other scholars believe that in the early church, once you accepted Jesus Christ, you actually enrolled in classes on learning what it means to be a Christian. These were called the catechesis. And after you completed these classes, then you could become baptized. Well, the classes usually took a year, sometimes two years to get through. And what these scholars think is happening is that there are people who had accepted Christ, but in that in-between time, when they were taking classes, they died. 
So as a way of honoring them and the commitment they'd already made to Jesus Christ, these scholars believe what is happening is that there were members of the Corinthian church who were being baptized on their behalf as a symbol of that person's entrance into the presence of God. That's what I think is is happening here. But I don't want to get too bogged down into different theories or ideas because honestly, that's not the point. The point is this. Paul is saying that if you deny the resurrection, then practices such as this don't really mean anything. Think of all that we do as a church. All of the rituals that help give us identity. Baptism. Communion. Tithing. Gathering together for worship. Weddings. Funerals. Baby dedications. All of these things. Paul says if at the heart of them is not the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then friends, we're wasting our time. The resurrection is what gives life to a community of faith and all that we do as part of that community. And then later in this passage, Paul begins to talk about some of his missionary journeys and how he has suffered in the midst of those journeys. He says that in Ephesus, he faced so much opposition that it was like wrestling with wild animals. Have you ever been to a, a Baptist business meeting? Because I think Paul has. <laughs> and Paul says, if I didn't believe in the resurrection, if I did not believe in the resurrection, I wouldn't go through all of that conflict and all that stress. The resurrection is what sees me through all of that. The resurrection is the why of why I do what I do. So this morning, as part of the sermon, I want to try something a little bit different. Paul argues that the resurrection should be the why for both ministry and missions. So I've asked some folks to come up and join me up here, and they can make their way up here now. And I want to ask them about their experience with both ministry and missions. And I'm going to ask them about uh, how what they do or what they have done in their life has been informed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have... Becky Gentry, our Minister of Music. We have Laura Meese, our Chair of Missions and a former missionary to Mongolia and Africa. Is that correct? All right. And Ron Winstead, uh, who was a missionary in China for, you know, 50 or 60 years or so. And, um, uh, and is also a really astute biblical scholar who's part of our community. And so I'm going to ask them their opinion. Now, we were going to have a fourth person with us. Uh, that was going to be our associate pastor, Gerald Collier. And you might have heard me mention earlier in the prayer that early this morning, I got a uh, call from Betty Collier that Gerald woke up and he couldn't breathe. And so he was rushed to the hospital 
and I rushed over and spent some time in the emergency room with Gerald. I wanted to talk to Gerald because in addition to being our associate pastor, he's also a hospice chaplain in the community. And I wanted to get his perspective. So we talked a little while, and before I left, I wanted to make sure he was okay. And I knew he was okay because a nurse came in and said, Mr. Collier, it's time to take you to a CAT scan. And Gerald said, well, is it a Siamese cat or an alley cat? <laughs> and I was like, you're fine. And I left, and he's still there. He has been diagnosed with pneumonia. He's going to stay in the hospital a few days and recover, and so continue to pray for him. I talked to Gerald, and I asked him, I said, how does the resurrection inform what you do as a hospice chaplain? And he said, you know, the truth is, is I don't think my job would be necessary without it. That what I do is to help people to see a glimpse of hope in literally the darkest moments of their lives. And so for him, as somebody who sits with the dying, who helps care for those who are taking their final breaths, Gerald believes that the resurrection is what empowers him to do all that he does in caring for those kind of people. And so that's what I wanted to share with you that Gerald uh, shared with me. But Becky, I'll start with you. As somebody who helps organize worship, as somebody who helps choose the songs that we sing, um, let me first ask you about how does the resurrection inform those kind of decisions for you? We have a message to give out as we lead in the worship service. The message, um, I think of the song that we did at the Good uh, Friday service with Were You There? And we sang three verses, but we didn't sing the last verse. The last verse of Were You There says, um, I remember now. Yes, when he rose up, were you there when he rose up from the grave? And we didn't sing that yet. That would be the great verse. We could continue that service on Sunday because that's what we continue with, with the, with the thought, with our focus. Um, as far as the music for the choir, we have a responsibility in leading in worship, as part of leading in worship, to share that joy, to share that hope that we have. You know, it's not over when, and, and you, know, you know I've personally been through this recently, and I shared with Tyler this morning that as hard as it was, it was to lose my dad a month ago, there's a joy in knowing that he is not suffering anymore. He is, um, he's doing a little jig he always did around the house, you know, and, but there's joy in that. And there's hope in that for those that we have not yet reached. You know, we have to lead as a choir, as a church, to help those other people know that there's a joy, that this is real, that the hope is a reality that we can have in knowing that death is not the end, that resurrection will come. Um, and the choir beautifully helped with that this morning. Um, and we just look at each other and we, there, there's an understanding that we know this and we want to share that with other people. So I, I just think the words hope and joy come to mind that something that we want to convey to others as we lead in service. Yeah, and you and I always try to work together on 
making sure that, there, you know, there are moments in worship where we acknowledge kind of the darkness of life and the, the hard parts of life, but that the journey that we're always hoping to lead people on is toward that hope of the resurrection. Um, and it informs all that we do. So, yeah, yeah. And the hope is not that resurrection is going to happen. The hope is in that, you know, we, it gives us strength. To, yeah. to make it through those troubled times. So it's, it's both a hope for what happens after we die, and it's a hope that we can have right now in this life. Yeah. Because yeah. eternal life is eternal, but it's, it's happening. <laughs> yeah, 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 great. Well, Laura, I wanted to ask you about your experiences as a missionary, and even maybe as chair of missions here. You know, Paul says that you know, he went to Ephesus, he wrestled with these wild animals, he went through all of this conflict, and he did that because what kept him going was the resurrection. So in your experience as a missionary, how's, that, how's the resurrection informed what you do? Um, when we were in Mongolia, um, we landed in January. The high temperature in January is minus two. That's the high. It's cold. It's hard to live there. Uh, things were not available. We couldn't find bread. We didn't, we, it was difficult. It was just difficult. It's nine months of winter. And um, before people knew that we were Americans, they're sharing the gospel, they thought we were Russians and threw rocks at us. And so the missionaries fought. The mission board told us to do things that were not productive. And I thought, why are we fighting with all of these things? It, we felt like it was to try to keep the message quiet, that Satan was involved in all of these things. I believe very much that God created me. God created Mongols. God, create, God loves me. God loves Mongols. God um, prepared a way for me who sinned to love God again by having Jesus die on the cross and be raised. If he wasn't raised, then why am I here? Why am I doing this? This is too hard. Except that I believe that. And our housekeeper was saved, and David led a Bible study um, that people accepted the Lord, and they were like, oh, thank you for coming to tell us. Thank you for, for doing this. We believed it was important enough to take little kids to Mongolia and live in a hard place to share with them. I believe he's risen. Otherwise, I wouldn't do this. This <laughs> is too hard. Yeah. Yeah. And how about kind of currently as you help lead our church towards doing missions in our community? How does the resurrection kind of inform those decisions for you? Um, one of the songs that we sang this morning uh, in another place was, because I've been given much, I too must give. I have something to offer. I have time. I have some money. Not a whole lot, but I'm not destitute. I'm not, you know, I have something to share. I have a story to tell. Um, I have hope to give you. And I want to find a way to use that. 
um, whether we can deliver beds to kids, which sometimes gets put on a hiatus. It's like, they don't need us anymore. We need another job. Um, I'm, I'm frustrated when we can't do something to relieve other people's suffering or misery or um, discomfort. If I can help them and say, I love you because God made you. He lives in me. I want him to live in you. Um, then we try to find ways that we can enter into other people's lives. Well, thank you very much. And Ron, I'm going to ask you, uh, Ron is somebody that, I mean, I look up to all three of these people. Uh, Ron is somebody who has been a Bible teacher of mine for many years, and I've really appreciated him. Not long ago, uh, I said to him that he was my Yoda, and he said, who's that? <laughs> and I, my face started going red, and he said, I'm just messing with you, I, you know. <laughs> so he's, he's a great guy. So, Ron, I wanted to ask you about your experiences of uh, serving in overseas and how the resurrection kind of informed those for you and Ina. We witnessed the resurrection in a new way. I, it's, it's really how I express it now. And learning so much about resurrection. Uh, you know, in the American experience, uh, yeah, it's good. I, I, I got a new dimension when I uh, started the work in China. And I want to say just a little bit of background. You know, the church in China has been resurrected and died several times. <laughs> in a sense, uh, that's been the story of the church in China. And I didn't realize that, of course, before I actually went and start, got, in, got involved in this. And uh, by around, uh, the church did not reach China until around 600. And it lasted about 200 years, and then you go to 800, and uh, 600 to 800, good church. 800, 900, where's the church? <laughs> it's dead, almost. It, there's no evidence. Historical evidence today cannot be found. For certain periods of China's history, there was no church, they say. But the church did. It was resurrected in a sense. It died, and then it was resurrected again. And it happened that way about three or four times in history, whereas the church just disappeared. And historians today have still not been able to piece that together. Where did it go? <laughs> what happened to it? And so looking at, at as I've learned this about China and the resurrection and then the death and then the resurrection, and even in modern history that I was a part of, okay, uh, I learned that the, the uh, resurrection that I was a part of as the church was reappearing in China. Uh, when Mao came, the latest cycle of this is Mao. You know Mao Zedong in 1949, the Communist Revolution. What did he do to the church? 
He closed every church in China. He closed every temple in China. And he, he just wanted to get rid of that. And so uh, he did. The last church in China closed in 1960. And we knew the pastor of that church. And he, that church had had 1,000 people every Sunday. And in 1960, the last service, they had about 30 to 40. And the church just died. Uh, well, where's the hope? Where are you going to get hope for that? <laughs> to go on, you know. And they suffered greatly. Well, uh, that cycle was a short cycle, we'll call it. Uh, Mao, of course, died in 1976. And then Deng Xiaoping came. And uh, Deng Xiaoping decided that he would let the church again be resurrected. And so the church came back in 1978. They started opening. And the church that, that we were part of, this is the church we were part of, they were stronger than they had ever been. And uh, after all that, you know, suffering and death that they experienced, and yet it had not killed them. It had just made them stronger, it seemed. And so since 1978, uh, the churches started reopening. For example, we were in Shanghai in 1980, 88, and 89, and we got acquainted with the churches that went through that period and then were resurrected in a sense. And the uh, pastor told us a story uh, about when his church closed, the last service, they had about 30 people. And uh, when that church opened, he was afraid nobody would come back. It's too hard, he said. They'll, they'll be afraid that it's just another ploy by the communists, you know, to uh, get, get more people in the persecutor. Well, uh, he, was, he couldn't sleep the night before the church opened. And so he just made his way down to the church. And uh, when he got to the church, he saw a group of people, a large group of people. And it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. The church could not open until 7 o'clock. By the time the church opened, there were over 1,000 people standing to get in. They went in and they had the seven o'clock worship at nine, at seven. And when they came out, there was another thousand people waiting to get back in. And they had another worship service. Since that time, they've had four worship service every Sunday since 1978. They have between four and 5,000 people every Sunday. And so we've seen the church, it seems, come to life, die. Come to life and die. And I get to thinking, is it going to happen again? Can it happen again? Could it happen again? And uh, if it does, I know that the final word will be resurrection. God is going to raise his church up again if it does. I know you hear about uh, persecution in China. But actually, persecution is not the big story for me. Resurrection is the big story mm -hmm. in China. Mm -hmm. That church has the resurrection power. 
And even if it dies, it's going to rise again. Uh, I don't think it's going to die. I think it's here to stay right now. And uh, one reason is that uh, one, the church uh, appeared to die, but you know it never really dies. And uh, it, it just keeps on underground in a sense. And the underground church is alive, but it's not really the mainstream of Christianity. Uh, the church that's open is the church, and the church that's legal is the one I think that is the mainstream. And uh, uh, the church dying just made them stronger. And they've come back to be very strong. Let me tell you another item about the resurrection, though, that has to do with Bibles. Uh, Mao gathered all the Bibles and destroyed them, burned them. And then when the church came back and thousands of people clamoring for Bibles, right? Well, where are you going to get enough Bibles to give everybody a Bible? Well, uh, they petitioned the government, and the government let them open a printing press in Nanjing, Amity Printing Press today. 1985, they printed their first Bible, after all the Bibles had been destroyed. In 1985, the first Bible. Last year, 19, what? 2018, okay? <laughs> I'm in a different century. 2018. <laughs> in 2018, they printed their 200 millionth Bible in China. Completely above board, completely legal. And so the Bible, in a sense, had its death, but the Bible has been resurrected. And so 200 million Bibles, plus you know that the Chinese have 800 million electronic devices in their pockets. They've got a lot more than we do, right? And those electronic devices have websites that can access the Bible. So how many copies of the Bible are there, there now? In other words, access to the Bible was extremely limited. But God has found a way to resurrect not only the church, he's resurrected the Bible. Hmm. And he is going to build his church and build it strong. Yeah. It makes me think about the uh, sometimes the stress that people have about the state of the church in the West how less and less people are attending church and that sort of stuff. And uh, the writer Rachel Held Evans has a book called Searching for Sunday where she says that when people get stressed out about the state of the church in America right now, they need to remember that death is not something that resurrection people should worry about. That God will resurrect even the things that seem to have died. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Um, you can... Go and I'll, I'm going to say a prayer for us. And, yep. <clears throat> Resurrection is the why of what we do. It's the why of ministry. It's the why of missions. And our job, 
Our job is to constantly, like a compass, to be making sure that we are pointed true north. That's what resurrection is for us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the joy that can be found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for Gerald, for Becky, for Laura, for Ron, for all of those who help point us towards your resurrection by what they do, by helping to care for those who are dying, by leading us in worship, by leading us in helping to be a place of resurrection in our community, and by helping us to understand that death and resurrection are merely parts of the wondrous story you are telling and that you are inviting us to be part of. So God, as we gather here, help us to remember that the why the why of the reason we are sitting in this room right now is the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.